So I only have to I only talk half as long then if I can only use one hand. So I heard somebody say Amen. So righty. Well, this morning it is Memorial Day weekend. Um, a very I don't know if necessarily solemn, but a very introspective type of weekend where we think about uh, mostly men, but some women also, that have given their lives on the battlefield. It's not just for all the soldiers and all the sailors and all that, but specifically for those who have given their life on the battlefield. And it's one of those things that we don't think of because unless we really realize it, only about 1% of the U.S. population serves in the military. And only about 10% of that actually serves as on the front lines in the fighting. So it's a very small percentage of people that have given everything so that we can meet here like this. And it's something I think that we need to, to remember often and to be very thankful. Whenever you see... Uh, a veteran, which, you know, wearing a hat, uh, they served in, you know, World War II, Korea, Vietnam, whatever, um, please thank them for their service. Um, because it's not easy, as I think Jeff was talking. Some of them came back, um, and some are still fighting those battles, um, PTSD and some things, because they've seen things and experienced things that we will never even imagine, and they stay there a while. And it's it's hard. It's they'll never get rid of those. So, but uh, and then the families too, the families of those who uh, had loved ones. I think especially in World War II, my aunt was a nurse, and she went over <clears throat> the day after D-Day there on the shore at Normandy Beach, and she uh, helped minister to help nurse those that were wounded. And not just the American soldiers, but the German soldiers also, the POWs. And being um, of German descent, she spoke German very fluently. And uh, as she ministered to, as she did the, uh, taking care of, of the German POWs, uh, they were a little leery when she spoke in German. And uh, she would ask them what she could do for them while she was speaking with them. And uh, most of them asked if they could pray, and uh, she read, she said, I don't know how many times I said the 23rd Psalm in German to them. She said it gave them such comfort. Um, but a lot of those, you know, soldiers on, that were the enemies, they didn't want to be there either. Um, but that's the way things are. So I'm going to show a little video that talks about the families, about the, the letters from war. Because nowadays... You know, with, with um, satellite phones, with Internet, with those type of things, you can come in contact with your family members pretty much every day. But back in World War II especially, um, it would be weeks and weeks, months sometimes, before you got a letter um, and before your family got that letter. Uh, little background to what you're going to see. Um, when, an, when a soldier would die... What would usually happen, not always, but usually would happen would be an officer would come, usually a chaplain, would come to your house in a government vehicle. And when you saw them pull up and you would see this officer get out in their dress uniform and come to your house, you pretty much knew that they were going to tell you that your loved one was dead. Um, but they did it personally, not through emails or, I mean, at that time it was emails, but a phone call or a telegram. It was personal. Um, so that was the best that they could do on that. So we're going to watch, a, a, I think, <laughs> a short little video. It's a song called Letters from War. Uh, it's a wonderful song, and uh, hope you enjoy the message. Good friends that he made. 
There are about 7 billion people in the world, and you are among the very select, because out of that 7 billion, only about 30 of you are going to get to hear me this morning. And you think, why me, right? No. We're going to talk about long-term memory, something of which I used to have. I really have a good memory. It's just short. But anyway, um, many of you know that the loss of memory is a sad thing. We have family and, and friends that those days of, of yesteryear have gone by, or maybe they live in those days that have gone by and don't know what's going on now. It kind of strips away a lot of the treasures of the past, the, the days uh, of long ago are blank pages now. And it's an unfortunate time. It's an embarrassing time for some of us. But for some of us, it's unavoidable. It just happens. But sometimes our forgetfulness is because of our neglect. Uh, the things that were going on before, we're, we kind of got you know apathetic towards them. We're not really caring about them. 
And our attention is placed on the here and now. Because that's what's the most important, right? That's why when we talk about Memorial Day, we often forget about that because we've had wars, but not like World War II, like Korea, like Vietnam, you know, even in Afghanistan. We don't really have those right now, so we don't feel that. We don't see every night. I remember growing up seeing every night the, the numbers, casualty numbers, uh, on the television from Vietnam. But we don't see those, so we have a tendency to be a little bit apathetic about that. We act as though the present is all that matters, and the past is something that we can just toss away because it's, you know, it's like an old pair of shoes. It was nice while they were here, but we don't really need them now. So just put those away. But now here on another Memorial Day, we're called to remember those who have died on the battlefield in our military service. We view what has been as mostly irrelevant to what is now. But when we think about it, what it is now depended on and still depends on what happened 20, 30, 50, 100 years ago. I think of some of the men that went over in World War I. What a terrible time that would be. I mean, when you look at, at how difficult those things were. Um, and I think of like the prisoners of war that we still don't know um, from Vietnam how many, if any, are still over there. Um, and that's a difficult time for the families especially of those. But it goes on and on. But a failure of our memory can be a very difficult thing spiritually. Can be a, a, it can rot away our faith, if you will, and our relationship with God. When you look to the Bible, it's obvious that memory, memorial days, times, events, are very important. When you look through there at Scripture, we find references to monuments, to memorial feasts, uh, to stories over and over, because before it was written down, the oral tradition was all they had. And it was very important to remember those things. In a lot of different ways, we see this, this great saving acts of God rehearsed and re presented to his people. And we're going to talk about a little bit about that today. Um, how God made sure that the people of Israel, his chosen ones, made sure that they passed along those things so they wouldn't forget God's plan for them. What does God want us to remember? Men, your wife's birthday, your anniversary. <laughs> And wives, remember that your husbands will probably forget those <laughs> days. But he wants us to remember his redemptive plan for all of mankind that he set all the way from the beginning. Interesting, when you look at the first gospel message, if you will, do you remember who it was given to? It was given to Satan, the serpent. When he said, you will strike his heel, but he will crush your head. So way, way back in the garden, God's redemptive plan started. But I'm going to show you one small aspect of that. About some memorial days, plural. And uh, there are a lot of exciting parts in Scripture. And this is probably one of the most exciting sections it's in the book of Leviticus. For those of you that want to take a nap, you know, it's like, okay, book of Leviticus, wake me up when I'm done, right? I understand. I've been down there. When the, the, the days when you read through the Bible and you get to Leviticus and you go, uh, okay, I got that date. <laughs> I understand. It's, it's, it's difficult. It's dry. But in Leviticus, Leviticus, easy for you to say, Leviticus 23 is an interesting part that I've never really heard a sermon on, and I think the reason is is because a lot of these things, I, I don't know, but I believe that God is somehow waiting until we get closer to, his, to Christ's return to reveal these to us. When you look in, real quick, in Daniel chapter 12, 
Daniel chapter 12 and first few verses. The last chapter of Daniel. It says, All the, At that time Michael, the archangel, will stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time, talking about the great tribulation, those seven years. And to that time your people shall be delivered, every one who is found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and to shame and everlasting contempt. Kind of sounds like the rapture. Asleep in the dust to awake. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness in the firmament, and those who turn away um, many to righteousness like the stars above. But you, Daniel, this is God talking, Mike through Michael the archangel. This is him talking to Daniel. All of these things that are going to happen. It says, but you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge will increase. So he's telling Daniel, yeah, these are some really important things, but you know what, Daniel? Not right now. We're going to wait till the end. And I think a lot of us are like, Daniel, <laughs> tell, you know, we were ready, you were telling us, but we're going to wait till the end. I think that's partly with Leviticus 23, because it was written thousands and thousands of years ago. But it talks about what we call the Feast of the Lord. The word feast is, is an interesting one. We think of feasts as right, Thanksgiving, you know, parties, reunions, and all that. But the word feast is moed, or moedim, plural, a Hebrew word. And it means an appointed time, such as when you go to see the doctor, right? You have an appointment. It's a scheduled appointed time. And God set seven of these. You think, so what's the big deal about seven? Well, you know that seven means completeness or perfection in God's word. Throughout that, the seven days of creation, six days, and then he rested on the seventh. You know, how, remember when uh, Peter asked Jesus, how many times should we forgive him? Seven times? And he said, no, 70 times seven. You know, you look at the seven years of the tribulation, seven goes over and over and over again as the completeness of whatever it is they're talking about. So there's seven feasts of the Lord, seven appointed times, and we're going to look at those, some of those and uh, try to understand how those are memorial days for us, spiritually speaking. The first one is Passover. You remember Passover that they had in Egypt? It tells us this is Leviticus 23, verses 4 to 8, and we're not going to read all those verses just for sake of time, but it, you understand about Passover, how that's where the, in the Egypt they killed the lamb, put the blood on the doorpost, and they were saved from the death angel. It says, On the tenth day of Nisan, they're, they're not the car, but the month, tenth day of Nisan, Jesus rode into Jerusalem. That's when, uh, that wasn't the Passover day, but that was the day that, uh, this is, that happened to be when the Israelites, it says four days later, for example, um, here it says, On the fourteenth day of the first month, at twilight. Now, twilight, is different. We think of twilight as dusk, right? It's just starting to get dark. But in Jewish time, it was around 3 o'clock. It's a little bit different than what we would consider it as. So on the 14th day of the first month at twilight is the Lord's Passover. And on the 15th day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So they're talking about these different things. And it's interesting. But it told them that they were supposed to take a lamb on Four days prior for that, and we see that in, in uh, Exodus chapter 12, starting with verse 3. And they were, every family was supposed to take a lamb four days prior to Passover. And they were to examine that lamb to see if it was a perfect lamb, that it had to be a male lamb, a year old, and, and it couldn't have any imperfections at all. So that's what they were looking for. And for four days, they thoroughly examined that, that it would be fit to be sacrificed. And oftentimes when the family would have it, as you know, for those of you with little kids or had little kids, if you brought a little lamb into your house, year old, and you have it in your house and you're examining it, looking at what are the kids going to do? 
Oh, can we keep him? He's so cute. Just a couple of days ago, kind of similar to this, our neighbor came over, rang the doorbell, and said, look out your back window for a show. We live in Troy, so it's not out in the middle of nowhere by any means. And there was a, a doe standing there. Uh, earlier I had seen her. Anyway, we looked out and there was the doe with twins, fawns. And they were walking kind of like, you know, they had just been born that morning. Because I saw her that morning and apparently she was going to go into labor real soon or whatever. But it was right on the back side of our fence. We could see them. We just watched them and watched them. And those little cute little fawns were just, you know. And it was like that with the lambs. They had that in the house for four days. And no doubt a lot of homes, that was a, a pet to them. They could become very attached. But then on the fourth day, the day of Passover, that's when they were sacrificed. They were sacrificed on the 14th day at the beginning of Passover. And these Passover lambs were sacrificed at twilight, about 3 o'clock. Interesting that Jesus himself was sacrificed and died right about 3 o'clock. Remember when it was dark from 12 to 3? And then at that end, he gave up the ghost and he died. So even though it wasn't dark, God said, I'm going to make it dark. <laughs> even to the very hour that Christ fulfilled that feast of the Lord, that first one, on the exact day, on the exact hour. Coincidence? There's no coincidences with God. The second memorial day, that of unleavened bread. We see that in verse 6 of Leviticus 23. And that is an interesting one also, because it says on there, and on the 15th day, the day after the Passover, this of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread to the Lord. Seven days you must eat unleavened bread. So there was, it was seven days long, but it began on that next day. And they weren't to have any leaven, because leaven, or yeast, was a sign of sin. That's why they didn't, cause they couldn't even have any in their house. They put everything away. So they would have this unleavened bread. And that's when Jesus was buried. It, it, the unleavened bread, the, the part about yeast not being there, was a symbol, if you will, of Jesus' sinlessness. That he was the perfect sacrifice. Jesus died only hours before sunset on the Nisan 14, on the, the day of Passover. And he would have been buried on the 15th. The Feast of Unleavened Bread. It says, while the burial of Jesus clearly fulfilled this feast, it's not immediately obvious as to how it was fulfilled. The answer lies in the scripture, often used leaven as sin, as corrupting nature. Jesus, in Mark 8.15, tells us that. It says, and he continued them, or excuse me, he cautioned them, saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. This isn't scripture, but I thought this was very interesting how God uses different things. For the Jewish Passover, they have matzah, or the unleavened bread. And they, there's one piece, there's three pieces. That, well, they, they break one piece and, into three pieces. And they take the center piece and they wrap it in a little cloth called the afikoman. And they take this piece... And they hide it. And the children have to find it a little bit later on. Whoever finds it gets a little prize. You think, well, how is that? Well, when you look at the matzah, it has stripes. And it has puncture holes. Was Christ had stripes from beating? Did he have a puncture hole in his side? Was he in the center of the three? Was he covered with a cloth and put away? Interesting how all those things picture him. Did they know that back then? Absolutely not. They had no clue. But yet even today, if you would go to a Jewish uh, Passover, the Seder meal, and you would see that, when they do it the right way, you would see that centerpiece, and it's covered and put away. And that symbolizes Christ in a lot of ways. So that's the second Feast of the Lord, 
the appointed time, that was fulfilled by Christ on the exact day. Two coincidences in a row. Hmm, you might say. Or you might just say, no. The next one, in verse 10 of chapter 23, is that of first fruits. And it says, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land, land of the, the promised land, which I will give you, and reap its harvest, then you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of the harvest to the priest. Uh, a, a stalk of wheat, if you will, or rye, whatever it might be. That's the first fruits. You bring it to the priest and you offer that. That was the day of, of the Feast of First Fruits. It was on the 17th of Nisan, three days later. Three days after what we would call Good Friday. On this day, the harvest was celebrated by waving a sheaf you know, and, and giving it to the Lord. Again, Jesus rose from the dead on that third day. And therefore, he was the, fulfilling the Feast of First Fruits. 1 Corinthians 15.20, Paul talks about it. He says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Three appointed times of the Lord. Three times Christ fulfilled them on the exact day. Jesus couldn't have rode into Jerusalem on just any day. In fact, if you look way back, um, I think it's in Daniel. Um, but they said that the, uh, from, the, from the declaring to rebuild the temple... From there on, there were so many days, 360 days in a Jewish year. There'd be so many days until the Messiah would be cut off, meaning when he would come in and be taken care of. When Christ rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday on that donkey, that was the exact number of days since hundreds of years before in the Old Testament when they said, okay, now you can start rebuilding the temple. So he couldn't have just rode into Jerusalem on any day. It had to be on that one day. And when he died and rose, it couldn't have just been on any day. Which, when you think about it, you know, you, you, could, you could die and, and be buried on any day. And Jesus could have rose on any day. But to fulfill God's redemptive plan, Christ rose on the exact Pretty good planner, right? Amen. So there's the first three. Those are the spring feasts. And the first three Christ fulfilled on every single one of them on the exact day. The next one, the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost, meaning 50 days later. That's another seven. Seven weeks of seven days. The day after that is when they would have the Feast of Pentecost. And we see that. Um, in verse 16 of Leviticus 23. It says, Count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath, and you shall offer a new grain offering to the Lord. It was interesting when this day of weeks, that the Jewish belief was that this was the same day that the Lord came down and gave Moses the law on Mount Sinai. Remember, there was fire and smoke and everything when he came down. And that was the day that they said that that's when this was, on the Feast of Pentecost, on those 50 days, on the 6th of Sivan, that month that they called it. It's interesting, because Moses brought the people out to meet God, and they saw Mount Sinai was all wrapped with smoke and fire, and everything was coming down in Exodus 19. And that nation was born, if you will, on that day. Another nation was born on Pentecost. As you know, us, we are a holy nation, a royal priesthood. The church was born on Pentecost, the exact day that was prophesied. The exact appointed time that God had set thousands of years before. But on that day, Christ, through the Holy Spirit, fulfilled that day. And you think... That's four in a row. I'm glad you're counting. But that was four in a row. And it was amazing how 
God just keeps fulfilling and how his plan from thousands of years before is fulfilled to the exact day. Now these first four feasts, again, three in the spring and then one just 50 days later, and it's just barely into the summer, they're kind of in a cluster. And then there's three in the fall. There's a long time between Pentecost and the next one, which is the Feast of Trumpets. Oftentimes people, scholars, people a whole lot smarter than I am, have said that this pictures the time in, in the difference between when Christ first came, his first advent, his first appearing, and his second that will be coming up. Because we're in that space right now, right? Between when he first came and when he comes back again. So they, a lot of them will say this, this symbolizes that. Does it? Maybe, maybe not. Is it a coincidence? That is more like a coincidence, maybe. But it seems to follow that pattern. Interesting. These first three feasts have been fulfilled. Or, excuse me, the first four feasts have been fulfilled. The last three haven't yet. So the question is, will these last three feasts also be fulfilled by Christ on the exact day? Could be. We don't know for absolutely sure. It doesn't say black and white, but it seems like it would. I mean, God's plan, right? He doesn't just say... In fact, Amos 3, verse 7, a verse that you all know and you can probably quote it to me, right? I think, where is Amos, right? Yeah. It's a small book. Amos, Obadiah, Joel. Amos 3 and verse 7 is a great verse. And it says, Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets, or his messengers. The Lord does nothing unless he reveals it. You think, is that true? Did he tell Noah before the flood was going to come? At 120 years. Did he tell Lot before he was going to put uh, fire and brimstone down on Sodom and Gomorrah? Sure. People of Jericho. Remember the two spies went in, talked to Rahab, and they said, you guys are in big trouble. And she's like, okay, I'll hide you guys. Just make sure they don't, you know, kill us. No problem. They walked around another seven, right? Seven days. And on the seventh day, they walked around seven times. And there were seven priests that blew seven trumpets seven times. And some of you are going back to the veggie tales about the Jericho, right? We feel the grapes and all that kind of stuff. I, I got that permanently stuck in my head. So if you've never seen that, watch it. It's, it's, some of you have seen it, and it's, it's. But anyway, but God doesn't do anything unless He first reveals that to us. And sometimes it's weeks, days, and sometimes it's thousands of years. So I'm going to go to the fourth one. We're not going to finish all of them, but the fourth one is the next one in line, if you will, uh, chronologically from, you know, like we would say from January to December. The next one is called the Feast of Trumpets. And that is at the first new moon, when you see that first little sliver of the moon, because the Jews have their um, calendar. It's solar and lunar, but mostly lunar. On the beginning of their month is when the first new moon appears. That's the beginning of their month. So the next one is the Feast of Trumpets. It's the only one that begins on a new moon. The other ones are like the second day, the fourth day, the seventh day, whatever. But this one is on the first day of the seventh month. It's also called Rosh Hashanah, or the beginning of the year, because this is the beginning of their religious year. And the other beginning of the year, back in the spring, was the beginning of the political year. So there's like, they got two beginnings to the year. But anyway, the next one is the Feast of Trumpets. And that's in verses 24 and 25 of Leviticus 23. And it talks about there would be a blowing of the trumpets. 
um, Yom Teruah, the day of blowing, if you will. And they were not supposed to do any work, just blow these trumpets and remember. Have a memorial day, if you will, like we are. But they were to blow the shofar, the ram's horn. Interesting. These are some of the, the things. Again, another exciting book in the Bible, the book of Numbers. If you've ever read that, you're like, if you're ever tired at night and you can't go to sleep, start in the book of Numbers. And better than Salmonex, so. They still make Salmonex? I don't know. But in Numbers chapter 10, um, it talks about the blowing of trumpets and how they are important. First one is in verse 3. Numbers 10 and verse 3. It says, When they blow both of them, the two silver trumpets that they had, when they blow both of them, all the congregation shall gather before you at the door of the tabernacle to meeting. So the first indication they have is when they blow the trumpets is that the whole assembly gathers together. The second one is in verse 6. When they blow the trumpets. When you sound the advance the second time, or sound the trumpets, then the camps that lie on the south side shall begin their journey. They shall sound the call for them to begin their journey. So they set out on a new destination when they hear the trumpets. A little different kind of blowing. But when they hear that, they go, oh, we got to go. We're going to a new place. The next time is in verse 10. It says, also in the day of your gladness, in your appointed feast, at the beginning of your months, you shall blow the trumpets over your burnt offerings and over the sacrifices of your peace offerings, and they shall be a memorial for you before your God. I am the Lord your God. So the next one we see is at the appointed feast, the appointed times, just like the Feast of Trumpets, where you blow the trumpet. And the last one in Leviticus 10, or excuse me, Numbers 10, is in verse 9, the verse before. It says, When you go to war in your land against the enemy who oppresses you, then you shall sound an alarm with the trumpets, and you will be remembered before the Lord your God, and you will be saved from your enemies. So the last time was to sound the alarm of an upcoming battle or war that's about to begin. My question for you, and, by, and I'm, I'm questioning because this is, I only say for sure when it's black and white in Scripture. And if it's not, I say, well, let's think about it. God has given us a mind to think, so put it that way. When we look at the rapture, will, we be, will the whole congregation of the believers be gathered together? In heaven. Will we be setting out on a new destination? Amen. Will we be rejoicing for the appointed feast, this feast of trumpets, if you will? And will there be a battle or a war about to begin? Seven years. It's interesting when we look at that. A lot of people, scholars, believe that the next feast of the Lord to be fulfilled will be the Feast of Trumpets by virtue of the rapture. You think, oh, Brother Ken, what about when it says that no man knows the day or the hour? I get that. But if you look at that, that's not talking about the rapture. I thought about that for years. I thought that's the way it was. But in Matthew 24, that's talking about when Christ returns to earth seven years after the rapture happens. And I'm not setting dates. Trust me, I am not setting dates because I know how bad that is when people happen. But... Is God letting us know? Is He letting us know that some year on the Feast of Trumpets, you think, well, wouldn't we know the day or the hour? Wouldn't we know? Interesting. The Feast of Trumpets is the only one. It's a two-day festival. And it's only one day because for it to begin, they have to see the new moon. They have to see this little sliver of the moon. And two people have to see it. And it talks about two or three witnesses to make sure it's true. Two men go up and look. If they see this little sliver, they go down and tell the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin. Sanhedrin says, okay, we'll start it. If they go and look for, because of clouds or whatever and they can't see it, can't start it. They go the next night 
and see if they can see that sliver of the moon. And then if they see it, then it can start. And it's known as the feast that no one knows the day or the hour. I'm not making that up, fun. <laughs> so, could it be? Maybe. Could it not be? Maybe. But I'm just saying that there's, a, there's, there's enough, I don't want to say proof, there's enough markers, if you will, to make you think, hmm, if the first four were fulfilled on the exact day, will the next one be fulfilled on the next day? And if it is, how will it be fulfilled? The next big prophetic event is the rapture, the church. I'm just saying, I mean, we all need to be ready every day, right, to go. But, um, and just in case you're wondering, the next Feast of Trumpets, which would be, a lot of times they'll do it, sometimes it's in September, but it's in the summertime. But it can't be because it's a fall feast. So it has to be the first new moon after the fall solstice. After, you know, like end of September when it turns, then the next new moon is the Feast of Trumpets, according to Scripture. The next new moon, I looked this up just for curiosity's sake, is September 25th of this year. Okay, at the end. Interesting that it ends, when it talks about um, in Corinthians, where it says um, the, the the, the last trump, that last trump is they, they blow the trumpet a hundred times during the Feast of Trumpets. The last trump is called the Tekiah Gadala, the great blowing, where they just blow it as hard as they can and as long as they can until they run out of breath. That's the last trumpet. Is that the one that they're talking about? It seems that way because they wouldn't really have understood anything else. So if that is the time when it would end about sunset in Israel, when you transfer that time over here to the eastern time zone, it's about 11 o'clock. And if you look at September 25th, this year, it's a Sunday morning. What if? And I am not prophesying at all. Please believe me. But what if the end of September... Sunday morning, 11 o'clock, we'll probably be here, and the rapture does happen. How many people will still be sitting in their seats? Something to think about. And I only say that so that you, we all are ready. Like today, don't wait, I'll wait till the 24th, I'll wait till about 10.30 on the 25th, and then I'll... But I'm just saying, if that does happen, will you be ready? Will you be out of here? Because I guarantee you that if, it, if, and that's a big if, if that does happen on the Sunday morning, the end of September, you and I know that there's going to be a lot of churches, not good, solid Bible churches like this, but there's going to be a lot of churches, there's going to be a lot of people sitting in the pews. There's going to be some people standing behind the pulpit that are still going to be there. So that's a Memorial Day. That's, that's the Memorial Day I want you to remember is that next Memorial Day, if you will, that God has set up at a point of time is on its way. Will it be fulfilled by Christ through the rapture? Scripture doesn't say, so I can't say. But it's always a possibility. It might happen before I'm done talking today. But be prepared. Be ready. Now, if you do get left behind... You can still get saved. You can still go to heaven. But you're going to go through an awful hard time. Awful hard time. You don't want to be there. So, Last couple of things. I have two little stories for you. There was a man back in the early 1900s. His name was Clarence Fuller. A very well-known man in the area. He was doing well, and he died. Unexpectedly. And at the funeral, they were lowering the, the, the casket into the ground and they were filling up the grave. And his two-year-old daughter stepped up to the grave and she began to sing the only song that she knew. 
And this is what... How old is Cain? Is he two? No, he's not two yet. Almost two? Almost two. Okay, so if he would sing, if that was the case, not that we would ever wish for you to be buried, but when this happened, this little two-year-old, she got up, and this is the song that she sang. She sang when they were filling in the grave for her father. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear daddy. Happy birthday to you. And some of the people were thinking, that is odd, but that's the only song she knew. Why would you do that? But as believers, isn't it our birthday? Yeah. Death is not the ending, but a beginning. And some of us have gone through very dear ones that have had that second birthday, if you will. So, I, as I was looking at that and thinking of it, I thought, you know, I think at my funeral, unless the Lord comes back first, I think I'm going to have everybody sing happy birthday to me. So. And then there's another little story. Some of you may have heard this, but I heard it recently and I thought, oh, so I'm going to read this to you. It's, it's not long. There was a woman who had been diagnosed with a deadly illness. She'd be given three months to live. She was getting things in order, and she contacted her pastor and had him come to the house to kind of discuss how we were going to do these things at the end. She told him which songs she wanted to sing, what scriptures she would like to be read, uh, the outfit that she wanted to be buried in, all of those things that people do, which is a wise thing to do, to get everything ready. The woman also told the pastor that she wanted to be buried with her favorite Bible. When everything was in order and the pastor was just getting ready to leave, he's walking out the door, okay, we got everything. And she said, whoa, 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 wait, wait, pastor, I got one more thing. He said, what's that? She said, I want to be buried with a fork in my right hand. The pastor's like, um, okay, but I don't get it. I can you explain that to me? Because I'm, <laughs> this doesn't come. So anyway, the woman explained, in all my years of attending church socials, potluck dinners, this and that, I always remember when the dishes of the main course were being cleared, someone would always lean over and say, hold on to your fork. It was my favorite part because I knew something great was coming. Chocolate cake, apple pie, whatever it was. Something wonderful and better than I've ever had was coming. And then she said, so pastor, I just want people to see me, see me there in the casket with a fork in my hand. And I want them to wonder, what's with the fork? And then I want you to tell them, keep your fork. The best is yet to come. So to help you, but you know, I can't just come up here and do this talk. So, But so when you get this fork, just remember to hang on to it. And if you want to, and if you want to, when it comes time for you to leave this world, you can tell Pastor Dave or whoever's going to do your, your funeral, just tell him, I want this fork in my hand. If you're left-handed, you can be the left hand. If you're right-handed, whatever. Um, or if you really like dessert, you can put one in each hand. I don't know. But just, and then when people walk by, they'll go, what's with the fork? They say, the best is yet to come. Amen. So remember that today. The best is yet to come. This is not your best life now, because this, if this is your best life now, 
It's, it's bad. So the best is yet to come. Hang on to your fork. Put it up high, whatever. And, uh, and just remember that the Lord's coming. Is it September? Is it today? Whenever it might be. And if it's not September, it could be October, no matter what. But hang on to your fork. Let people know. If nothing else, in, in the casket, when they walk by and see you, let this be your testimony. Let this be your witness to them that you are hanging on to it because for you, the best is yet to come. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. I thank you, Lord, that the best is yet to come. Lord, I pray for if there be anybody here uh, or if there's anybody listening that doesn't know that their best is yet to come, that today would be the day of their salvation. Lord, help us to remember these Moedim, these appointed times that you have for us. Help us, Lord, to remember that. Help us, Lord, to remember uh, the families and the service members, Lord, that have suffered through the wars, have given their life for it. We praise you for this day. For those that are here, Lord, we thank you so much. Bless this time, Father, in your precious name. Amen. Before we leave, the last song is going to be a special Memorial Day. We have um, a, a, a blowing, it's, a, it's a, a video, but it's going to be the blowing of the taps. So if you could, just stand up. And then at the taps are over, taps is played at every military funeral. And it's, it's, there's a whole song behind it and, and, and words and, and the history behind it, which we're not going to go into. But when you leave, if you could, please leave kind of reverently, just in a kind of a quiet note, because of the sacrifice that we are honoring on this weekend.